Welcome to the Divine Rhyme, a music podcast with culture, with Will Hogsett and Dylan Hughes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Divine Rhyme. Will Hogsett. Here, as always, joined by Dylan Hughes. Dylan Hughes, what a week. I feel like we say this every time, but my heavens. How you been, brother? Been good, man. It's been a, man. I mean, last week was a really good pod, building off of Good Kid, Mad City. And I jumped right into the this record after. I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't wait. Mm-hmm. And because it had been a while since I listened to it all the way through. And going through it, man, just a ton of new realizations. I sat through, you know, last night I was doing my notes. I I was doing my reading through the lyrics and it's like, God, man, best storytelling of maybe any album I've ever heard. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely uh, a lot a lot that we could talk about and so uh great to great to have another voice on here today the pod father himself og of the running hook network and uh i feel like we're doing one of those nickelodeon mashups uh where they mash up where they mashed up two different uh, like tv shows and so we got the pod father alex burr on here and i'm gonna toss him a curveball like he does on the power hour oh no alex burr what is the best Disney Channel slash Nickelodeon mashup episode? Oh, God. I was always a big fan of the uh, Jimmy, Timmy, whatever they called those when they mashed yeah. up Jimmy Neutron and uh, Fairly Odd Parents. That you was know, that, classic. Yeah. That, that was my jam. You know, I, I can't remember any of it, but I, no. I just know it. I loved it at the time. I was very excited. Um, whatever they mashed, mixed up with Hannah Montana back in the day, I was a huge Hannah Montana guy. So that's, you know, that's, that's my skis. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, I liked what I liked when I was a kid and you're not going to judge me for it. Random internet person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I like Tana Montana as well. I'm going to keep it a stack. I always thought that Hannah, Hannah Montana's friend was pretty hot. What's that girl's name? You I don't know, know her about? name. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, I always thought she was hot. And of course, Hannah herself is pretty hot. So, uh, but that's besides the point. Hughes, do you have anyone that pop up to mind? I think the Fairly Odd Parents and um, Timmy Turner would be, or and not Timmy Turner, but Jimmy Neutron would be my pick. Yeah, I don't remember the Nickelodeon ones too much, but I was definitely a huge Disney Channel guy. Um, obviously big high school musical fan, as I think has been discussed before, but, um, you know, the, the sweet life and whatever those mixed up with, I think that's a Raven may have got mixed in there and then there may have been something else, but sweet life is Zach and Cody. Just, I miss it, man. It's like ever, ever since it's been off the air, like my life has just not been the same. And it's, uh, that was always a good, good show. So what? So what's your take on Sweet Life on Deck? Not the Sweet Life. Uh, is that what it was called? The one where they somehow lived on a fucking ship? <laughs> you know, I actually think it was it was pretty well done from what I remember. I mean, obviously, it's a major change of scenery, which uh, you know you, you can mess that up. 
you can mess that up. Yeah. But living on a cruise ship, I mean, that's interesting. That's like an interesting idea. So I, I was a fan of that. Yeah, I don't know how believable it was. AB, you threw the thumbs down. You not a big fan of Sweet Life in general or just when they decided to live on a ship? I love the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Yeah. Um, I will say, shouts to Dylan and Cole Sprouse for um, getting and uh, Brenda Song and Phil Lewis for getting the fucking bag for three more years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was part of them. The yeah. Sweet Life of Zach and Cody's run had come to its natural conclusion. So, you know, listen... <laughs> Dylan knows from hosting the power hour with me, I will never ex- discourage someone from getting their bag. Mm-hmm. I will get on the cases of the people giving out the bag. Disney, what the fuck were you thinking? That's all. That's all I got to say, folks. Yeah, I uh, you can't go wrong with Sweet Life. Zach and Cody, those guys are goddamn legends. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but in, in regards to high school musical, Hughes, I think we need to do a high school musical pod at some point and get like Gregory on here. Yes. I think we have a lot of fun with that. I think we could have a lot of fun with that. But, but today, it's not about high school musical. It's about Kendrick Lamar. And this time, about to pimp a butterfly. And man, 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 man. Hughes, now that we got a B, set the scene for To Pimp a Butterfly. Where are we in Kendrick's uh, career before To Pimp a Butterfly? Yeah, so, you know, Section 80 was kind of like just almost he was almost talking to the people he grew up with. He was kind of, you know, kind of describing where he came from and also like outlining some of the problems from from his area and some of the problems that plagued people he grew up with. And then good kid, mad city kind of expanded on that a little bit. And he went into a little uh, more personal stuff. And of course he tells the story of how his friend got killed and the impact of that. And I like to think of to pimp a butterfly where we're at as like almost a mixture of those two messages while also throwing in, basically how these poor black communities became the way they were. And that was something that he discussed a lot in section 80 as well with the Ronald Reagan era and all that good stuff in there. And he's kind of building off of that storyline with this, where he's not talking as much about the individual decisions and problems that people have that kind of like that, slave mindset that uh that he and j cole have talked about where people are like choosing to enslave themselves by thinking this way or that way and i mean he definitely still talks about that but he also goes a little bit deeper than that and kind of looks into okay why do these people think this way like how did this mindset become popular in this community and it's 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 so it's kind of building or mixing the two albums before together and then building even further on top of that and really giving a better background of how it became like this. So we have, uh, we have a B on today because he's been begging, absolutely begging since the inception of this podcast, uh, to be like, all right, man, just give me on to pimp a butterfly. And so I, you know what we got when, when the pod father asks, he shall receive. It's supposed that sometimes. And so AB, why did you want this podcast specifically so much? And uh, is this just like a random Kendrick album that you kind of just fuck with hard? Or did you uh, have, do you have experience with like section 80 and good kid, Mad city as well. So 
my Kendrick, exp- I'll just kind of give like the long, short version of it. I I know that's kind of that kind of contradicts itself, but I think you guys will see where I'm going here. So like basically when I first started like branching out on my own and listening to my own music, that was around like 2012, right? So that was around Good Kid, Mad City and Take Care. So I was listening to like, you know, a lot of the Drake and Kendrick stuff. I was and Poetic Justice was one of my favorite songs. Um, Swimming Pools, one of my favorite songs. But then, you know, like I didn't really expand my um, <laughs> my music repertoire between you know, my that was would have been like my eighth grade freshman year time between then and like my freshman year of college. In my freshman year of college, I started delivering pizza and I just had so much more time to start listening to albums. Mm-hmm. And that was my freshman year of college was the year Damn came out, which we all are the same age, basically. I I think I might be I don't know who's the oldest here technically or who's the youngest, but we're all we're all in the same age range. So that would have been our freshman year of college was when Damn came out. And I listened to Damn and I'm like, this is, you know, fucking amazing. I love Damn. I'd already listened to Good Kid Mad City and I loved it. I love Good Kid Mad City. But then I go back and I listen to Pimp a Butterfly. And I'm going to give you guys credit here before I finish my point. You guys are so much better than me at reading in between the lines and music. It's crazy. Like you guys do such a good job of that. It takes me getting hit with like a tire iron <laughs> to be able to read between the lines. But one of the beautiful things about this album is that it is the tire, like the tire iron, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Like this, if you don't come away from this album not feeling something, you just didn't listen to anything, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I have a hard time getting messages, but this album, you know, it just comes with so much stuff. And even like Dylan talked about it at the beginning, I took so much more stuff like going deep into this, this time than I'd even had before. Like yeah. I'd had different meanings for each of the songs and you know what Kendrick maybe intended them to, you know, if these walls could talk, I did not like going through the genius of it. I did not have that being the intended meeting when we get to that song, but I'll just say Good Kid, Mad City is my favorite Kendrick album. Okay. But I think in terms of rap albums from the 2010s, it's either To Pimp a Butterfly or My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy are the best. And I think there's a difference between best and favorite. Yeah, like I think no. best, best is undeniable. Favorite is, you know, your personal choice. And I think yeah. those two are just undeniable. No, there's definitely a difference between uh, the best albums and, and, and like the favorite albums and whether that comes with your own personal attachment to songs that you like or just kind of like the idea behind the album maybe you attach to more. But you also brought up another good point, I think, AB, that's uh, like how you kind of skidded by this album to Pimp a Butterfly because this is an album that you can't just pick up by song and listen to you can't just be like oh i heard the song let me listen to this whole album and just kind of glide through it no this is an album that you it's like such an experience that it's hard to find individual songs i mean you have all right king coots are the ones that, that stand out so much but it's hard to like find individual songs and just listen to them individually and so uh i know Dylan, that's that's a testament to the storytelling that I know Dylan is just going to eat up today because Hughes, I mean, this is better than I mean, Sergio Simpson, the battle of Dune Juanita, like in, in, in at least a storytelling lens. It, it is the most in-depth storytelling album I think we've covered so far. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so we talked last time about Mac Miller and like yeah. I, I hadn't, I've never been 
influence to write fiction before I, I listened. We did our Mac Miller pods because I just sat back and thought like, man, this story is so good. Like it's not really a fiction story, but I think you could turn it into a fiction story, like fictionalize certain parts of it. And listening to this last night, I was like, I have to write something on this. And like, if an album pushes me to write something, that is a fucking awesome album because these, the thing that's kind of different between like uh, an album and like an actual story is, you know, songs are just designed in a different way and they're, they're made for listenability. Sometimes certain parts of the story may be kind of skipped over cause you're trying to get a certain point across. And I think this is, I mean, this is a very complete album and the story is very complete, but you know, for me personally, I think I'm going to try to tie some things together here and see what I can pull out of it. Cause it's like, the story is so strong and it's so interesting and it's, it just makes you think a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's one reason I like this podcast a lot because I've realized I think so much more about music now mm -hmm. and I'm not really just sitting back and listening to music anymore. I'm really diving into it. And that's why I love listening to a song and reading through the lyrics at the same time. And last night we've done, man, 30 to 40 albums, I would guess on this podcast so far, like it, we've gone through a lot of albums and this was the first album where I had to pause the music multiple times because I had to read these lyrics and think about them like yeah. very intensely. Yeah. I mean, and we were talking last week about Good Kid, Mad City, how it was such a great storyteller album and there were so many strong lyrics. But I could I could pretty easily, you know, read into the lyrics and see what he was saying without having to stop the music. But with this album, I had to sit and think a lot. Like it yeah. took me, it probably took me twice as long to do my notes than usual because there is just so much fucking content in this. And again, it goes back to the show, not tell like this is there's, it's like another level of show, not tell where you really have to sit and think, what is he trying to say? And as, as Alex said, the lessons in the, the points are very clear, but the way he describes them is at some points in the album are just so deep and thought provoking. Yeah. It just, it really makes the album such a great experience. And there's, there's a bunch of different like um, ways that he, he uses to convey uh, certain ideas. Obviously his cadence uh, is, is going to be the big one. And then um, just like kind of the jazzy production, kind of throwing it back to his, his jazz roots. And then also a lot of like his, his rap roots as well, obviously with, uh, you know, especially the mortal man there at the end, that's a really good way to tie it up, but let's get into it. Wesley Siri, the intro of this album. And man, you're going to let people know right away what, what we're talking about. Uh, Burr, what do you think about the intro to this uh, this this album? It's just like so. Okay, one of I think preparing for this podcast, I'm like, okay, I have to listen to this music in a way I'm not used to listening to music. Which is, I'm not gonna lie, I just like mostly listen for beats and you know hard bars. But this, you know, this album, I wanted to give it the respect that it deserves. But the beat is just hard, <laughs> like. Mm -hmm. All the beats on this album are fucking hard. Yeah. And but Kendrick, I want to say to add on to like what you just said, 
this doesn't work if Kendrick isn't like a, you know, a great rapper, right? Like none of this stuff that we're talking about, it just doesn't work unless he's a great rapper. Like one of the things I pointed out or one of the things I saw is like during the song, he's talking about how the CIA is basically been perpetrating guns and weapons through comp- places like Compton. <laughs> and it, this is a, this is a fact, by the way, you can look it up. This is like, documented fact that they did this but he's talking about this and you could get so absorbed in the song <laughs> and not realize what he's saying to go back to what to go back to what dylan said where you're like where dylan said you know you get so you can get so lost in the music or he says it so fast that yeah. he just he's a, honestly just an incredible songwriter and this this is a really great way to start the album yeah, uh, you're, you're right there, AP. It's it's one thing to do that for the podcast, right? Where, you know, you're doing a podcast about uh, a specific album and you're like, okay, I got to listen to this a bit harder. It's another thing when you add the fact that it's Kendrick Lamar, you got to fucking listen to on it. And so that's, that's kind of the difficulty that you're talking about because like you said, and I am guilty of this way more often than Hughes. I'm actually impressed that he didn't have to pause it up until this album, but I, I, I'm a big fan of the pause because I find myself getting lost. Like you mentioned into the, into the beat and the production and, and the, the kick of the song a lot. And I think that's natural. I think that's, that's what music is. And it's, it's the great artists that are able to put like, put you know content in there stuff that you could actually take and so uh hughes what was your uh, opinion on this intro and how does it rank compared to the other ones we've heard so far i love this intro because he just comes right out of the game man yeah. like going going right off of what alex said like he's not he's not really easing you into anything he's coming right at your face like this is this is a punch in the face to get you started and, you know, not to say that he hasn't done that before on any of the previous albums or mixtapes or anything like that, but I mean, this one just grabs you. And I think that's what an intro should do is it really should grab you and throw you into the fire. And I mean, I think the second verse is really the strong kind of the strongest, like signal of where the theme's heading, you know, where he, where he starts talking about uncle Sam and uh and what uncle sam will do for you if you act accordingly and that i think that's the strongest theme of this album and and it turns into uh to lucy at some point as well it's kind of those two things are kind of tied together um but you know this is i i wanted to say this for the end because it, the, the last song is a better discussion point for it. I guess we could dive deeper, but right before listening to this album yesterday, like I had never really considered what the title even meant. I don't know why I just didn't. And right before I sat down last night to listen, I'm like to pimp a butterfly like I, that. That's fucking perfect, man. Like the, the butterfly represents this like beautiful spirit that's making arts and helping the world. And the pimping is like what what this world is and what America is and what, you know, Kendrick has talked about on previous records already, where he's like people people find the beauty and they will milk it for all that it has for financial gain or whatever. And that's right off the bat theme wise. I mean, he pretty much dives into that where like this is this is America and this is America for especially 
black men or, or black people in general, where like we've, we hear all the time about the stereotype of if you're black and you grow up poor, you got to be a basketball player or a rapper. Right. And otherwise that's it. And I think this kind of, kind of talks about that a little bit too, where whenever, uh, whenever a black man in America has some talent, you know, uncle Sam is, is going to take them. And, you know, there's a line, he's like, I can see the, the baller in you. I can see the dollar in you. It's like, I think that line right there kind of summarizes the whole song. Yeah, definitely uh, a good point, Hughes. Uh, but I'm going to send it back to you for the next song, an interlude for free. Hughes is a uh, known anti-interlude guy. So what did, what did you think of this one right off the bat after the intro? The, this, is a, this is a major exception for me with the interludes, uh, this album in general, because we have another awesome one later on. But... I mean, this is kind of piggybacking off of that same thing. And, and again, this is, uh, th- this song reminded me a little bit of poetic justice, not necessarily in like what he's saying, but in the fact that he's kind of like hiding the true meaning of what he's talking about. And, you know, poetic justice was a song about sex and he was using poetry basically to describe it. And this is kind of the same thing where, you know, he starts off with this intro from this girl uh, saying he ain't he ain't shit and all that because he's not giving her what she wants. And that's kind of like supposed to say that's supposed to be, uh, you know, America. And she's like, I'm going to give my Uncle Sam to fuck you up. It's just, uh, it's just funny. And it's like, again, it, it builds off the theme from the first song where it's like, if if you don't give America what they want then they're going to, they're, they're throwing you out. They're going to, they're going to pick someone else to bring to the top. Uh, AB, you got a take on this one? I mean, I love this one. Um, it inspired one of my favorite Drake songs. It's not a, it's a DJ Khaled song, but it's a Drake song for free. Um, it's like, like my boy from Compton said, you know, yeah. they came free. Yeah. Like, I just now put that together. Nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's where that comes from. If you're ever curious, but I just love cause Dylan's right. Where like, he kind of cakes the hidden meaning and he get, puts it all at the end. I literally love the part before the outro. Fuck your sources, all distortion. If you fuck, it's more abortion, more divorce courts and portion. My check with less endorsement left me dormant. Uh, Stid doomed disgusted forced with what the fuck you think is in more shit porcelain pipes pressure bust them twice choices devastated decapitated the horseman oh america you bad bitch i picked cotton and made you rich now my dick ain't free and it just is like the metaphors are so like so great like he's such a great like like Dylan was saying, he's such a great writer. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, if he wasn't born in this time, if he was born like a hundred years earlier, he'd be known as one of like our great poets <laughs> yeah. because he just is such a, a good writer. But he like everything he's saying in the song, he's right. Um, that's the thing about Kendrick. He's right. And I think what he's more talking about in this song, too, is just I think Dylan kind of hinted at it on um, Wesley's theory, but it's like, it feels like a lot of this album is him talking about institute, like institutions and how they're fucking us. And I think that, you know, that's kind of a pre- one of the prevalent themes along with Lucy. I think that's like part of the first half of this album until he gets to Lucy and then Lucy becomes the dominant theme, the rest of the album. But I yeah. think that that's, you know, for the first half of it, at least uncle Sam and the institutions, that's like the main antagonist, if you will. 
Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a purposeful choice by Kendrick too, because I mean, obviously the front he's the the cover is him sitting or a bunch of a group of guys sitting on the fucking White House lawn, right? And so I think when he wants to start this album, and the ideas he brings up, uh, definitely like you mentioned about Uncle Sam, I think that's on purpose. But whenever he starts talking more about Lucy, I think he's <laughs> tries to kind of generalize the concepts a bit, you know, and we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, once we get deeper into the album, but I definitely agree that it, it takes on a second kind of life in the, in the second half. Uh, but the next song we got King Kunta, man, like we were talking about how it's kind of tough to pick out individual songs from this album, but Holy fucking shit, man, this is Kendrick riding a goddamn beat. Like, like no other can a B, what do you think about this one? And is this is this the best like radio song on the album, would you say? I actually I came away from this album. I think I's the better radio song. Okay. I think I's my favorite radio song, but we'll, that's obviously the second to last song on the album. We'll get there. Yeah. And I think the way I and you play into each other, yeah. that's not ever something I paid attention. Again, we'll get into that later. But this <laughs> song, in terms of just like a song. Like, this is the only song from this album on my music playlist. Yeah. And I've listened to this. Like, this was one of my five most listened to songs from last year. I love this song. Um, I mean, and again, this is, it has metaphors that she hit you in the head. But then, like, I never realized the bitch where you was when I was walking. Now I run the game, got the whole world talking. I never meant, like, you know, I never realized he was talking about, like, when he was walking, you know, and he was just a regular person. Now he's running the game. I never got that. And I think that's one of the cool, like, writing things that, writing tricks that he does. And he's, like, again, just such a great writer. I mean, the yams analogy in this, you know, like, how in the first verse, yams are, like, really important, right? Like, you know, yams are something to be desired. But then in verse two, like the yam brought it out of Richard Pryor, mm-hmm. manipulated Bill Clinton with desires. And like it's yams are made to be a bad thing. And I think that, you know, just all the metaphors and stuff in this song and with the fucking crazy beat, <laughs> like the way yeah. the beat escalates through the song, like it just gets oh, stronger yeah. and stronger. I think like it's I'm not saying it's a perfect song because I think Mad City is his perfect song, but I think it's pretty I think it's pretty up there, I'd say. Yeah, but the way the the build up in this song is awesome because uh, it matches it matches the the Kendrick's flow perfectly too. And when he raises that intensity in his in his lyrics, the the chords in the background he adds another layer of chords, and you're just like, oh, we're going this way now. But I think this is like really an intent like a an attention grabber. I think this is why it's it's in the album because after this, I think it's, we really started to get into what Kendrick wanted, wanted to kind of get into heavy, but this is definitely A, a banger, but B, I think an attention grabber. Hughes, what did you think about this one? Yeah, and you know, the thing that stands out is the beat, of course. And I, I think you could say that about pretty much every song. I think that's what's yeah. special about this album is that every beat is not only good, but like unique. Yeah, I, I think I think that's what's you know what makes really good beats is is uh, do they sound like anything else you ever heard you know and Kendrick not to say this is new from him but I mean this is I think the best case of that where every song just sounds so unique and different and it sounds different from the last which is always good too um, so obviously. The, the sound of the album is pretty like we don't need to talk about it because it's like it's just that's just part of the album is that 
it just all sounds so good. But from a story perspective, I think there's two themes that really start to get established here, which is loyalty and power. And loyalty doesn't really come back much until later on, but power is something we'll get into with these walls. And it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic that Kendrick has to wrestle with. And he's kind of describing that a little bit now where, you know, he, he has the yams and he's saying that is a good thing as Alex mentioned. Um, But he also talks about the bad too. And it kind of leads us into the bad um, of these walls and how it can be manipulated and all that. But you know, what's different about this album from Good Kid, Mad City is as we talked about, a lot of the time the message would really flow from one song to the next. So I think it's kind of interesting that with this song in particular, because again, he doesn't really talk much about loyalty until the end. And I think it's kind of interesting that he's establishing these themes, but unlike Good Kid, Mad City, he's not carrying it on to the very next song. Yeah, and the next song, Institutionalize, uh, kind of a flip of the bat in the mindset of Kendrick. Um, AB, what's your take on Institutionalize? So this, to me, like the beat switch, first of all, it's like most beat switches don't happen this early in a song. But for me, this song, when I was listening to it, this is always the the Snoop Dogg song. Um, I never bothered much to look at the lyrics but it's just like the wet the story of this song is fucking crazy where he's talking about his friends basically being so accustomed to their habits with that they basically this is the song right i'm not I'm not mistaken here where he basically his friend robs everyone at like the whatever award sh- the VMAs I think is what it's supposed to be and like that storytelling I never realized that was there it just is like it's so crazy like how in depth the story is and just like the the impact of the message that he's saying because it's like you grow up a certain way and then you see someone like Kendrick who has something and then you don't have it you're gonna get angry and you're going to take out your anger in the way you know how to take out your anger, which is harming others. And I think that that was kind of a cool thing from this song. The caterpillar, baby. That's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, but definitely the message definitely kind of rings from this song. I mean, shit don't change until you get up and clean your ass, baby. <laughs> that's uh, that's facts, though. Use, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, you know, this is something this is something that we've talked about a lot through music, uh, through our podcast. And again, I think this is another thing that this podcast has done well for me is kind of given me more empathy for people. And like just listening to some of these stories, it's like, man, like it really the best artist puts you in their shoes so well. And this song, I think, is is a great example of that. Because just listening to this song, it's like, okay, so he's explained where he's come from. He's explained the environment, the mad city, you know, how crazy that is. And when you get famous, it's almost like, how could you not continue that thought behavior? I mean, how how could you not? Like he says, you know, fuck am I supposed to do looking when I'm looking at walking licks? Like that's what he grew up. Whenever he sees someone successful, that's a lick right there. How, how can I get this for myself? And even though, you know, he's made it any, anyone in this situation that's made it, it's like, how could you not have that, that kind of, at least in the back of your head, like Mm -hmm. I could, I could fuck this guy up right now. I could take him for all he has. 
but it's like, oh shoot, I got to look myself in the mirror. Like I'm the lick, you know, I'm the walking lick now. So I think it's uh, just, again, great storytelling from Kendrick to, to put you in the shoes of someone that grew up in, in a poor environment where you're just, you're in a survival mindset all the time. And when you finally get that, you know, safety net, it's, it's, it puts you in that position where it's like, man, like I've got to really work hard to overcome the thoughts that I grew up with. Hey, B. I, so I wanted to make, so you brought up Dylan, you brought up the chorus shit. Don't change till you get up. Or I think Will brought that up actually. My, if that that's the case, my mistake, but shit don't change until you get up and wash your ass. Like, I think that the reason Kendrick has that in the song is because I, I kind of view that as like a sarcastic thing, right? Where like, you know, he's saying that's what people told him, but it's not that easy. And I think that, you know, that's one of the themes from the song that I, that's one of the biggest things I took away from this song was just like, you can, and I think Snoop Dogg says at the end, you can take your boy out the hood, but you can't take the hood out the homie. And like, you know, what he's saying is like, you know, you can, you can't separate. I think all this connects. I think you can't change someone and the way they grew up, just like, you know, on the snap of a finger that the way you grew up is always going to be intrinsically a part of who you are. And I think that that's kind of, I think the chorus is honestly kind of sarcastic in a sense where like Kendrick is kind of saying, you know, Oh, like the elders would say in his community, like, Oh, it's not going to change unless, you know, you get up and do something, but like what can Kendrick himself do when he's a child yeah. <laughs> living in this area? Right. Like institutionalized, like pretty much, you know? Yeah. That's, that's kind of the takeaway takeaway I had from this song. Yeah. And in, in the reference of the album as a whole, it's definitely like this cocoon stage. And I really like how he explains it at the end because he really, and we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about it more at the end of mortal man when we discuss that song. But when you, when he puts this, when he writes his last song and he kind of goes through the whole album via poem, it helps to put like different songs into perspective. And so I view this right here, this song, and then definitely the next one, these walls uh, as like this cocoon stage where he's, he's lost and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to build rebuild himself with from within uh but let's just go on to the next one that i know hughes was uh kind of previewing for us so i know he wants to chat about it a little bit these walls hughes what, what's your take other than just a vibe yeah so you know this was this is what alex talked about earlier and i was i was with him where i didn't really understand what he was talking about at first either and again that's why it's so important for me personally to read through these lyrics and get the genius annotations, of course, to kind of get some more context of what some of these things mean, because when you're listening to music, it just goes in one ear and out the other sometimes it, because as, as Will said, like we, we are listening to music cause it sounds good. And that's that. And if it has a good message, like we'll catch some of those lines, but diving in just really helps it so helps you know change the perspective a little bit and this is kind of this might be the only time uh where he kind of goes back to good kid matt city a little bit and builds off that story where he's talking about uh you know his friend that gets killed he's talking about the other side of it where it's the the murderer's baby mama 
you know, talking about how all of a sudden her man is in jail for life or whatever, and she's lonely. And, you know, Kendra kind of takes advantage of that power to sleep with her whenever she's, you know, wanting it as almost revenge. But he's realizing that, you know, this is not something I need to be doing. This is this is me taking advantage of the AMs, you know, that I got. Uh, but then it also goes back to, you know, talking about being institutionalized as like the guy actually in jail, which is he's literally institutionalized. It's not just a mindset like Kendrick's talking about. So it gives that dichotomy, which Kendrick does so well of taking one meaning, but kind of showing two sides of the story. And again, it just makes it it makes it so powerful because. I mean, a story is not complete until you hear every side of the story. And I think Kendrick does a really good job of giving as many different angles uh, as he can. Yeah, and he does that by, like, like you mentioned, kind of combining metaphors. And it's just a way this guy's mind thinks, I think, at this point. It's, it's insane, whether it comes to the lyricism, which we've talked about, or the the cadence that I forget what song that it's on, but he uses kind of like an off cadence. Shout out, Genus, again. Uh, sponsor us already, please. Uh, but the, the way the, the way that... The, the amount of messages that this guy can convey and the amount of tricks and little, little tidbits that he has to help convey those things. is definitely like apparent on this album. What's your take on this song, AB? I'll give my take by asking you a question, Mr. Hogset. So let's, let's go this way. Okay. If you didn't listen to the lyrics of this song and just listen to the beat, what would you believe is like the tone of this song? A beat, like just if you just listen to the beat and you took out the lyrics, or you didn't listen to what the lyrics were actually saying, you just listened to like the flow and how Kendrick delivered them, and you were listening to the beat. How would you? What would you say? Like this song is kind of about. Um, I'd say it's probably an upbeat song about sex, kinda. Exactly, and I yeah. think honestly. This is the song from this album I came away the most impressed with because this song is honestly kind of evil. (laughs) And like, you know, a basic moral sense, like, especially the last verse, like Kendrick, but I mean, it's coming from, you know, a place of anger, right? And you understand why Kendrick is doing this, but he's, you know, (laughs) he's like a killer turns a killer that turned snitch walls is telling me you a bitch <laughs> like so harsh so evil and he just makes a song about fucking this dude's girl all the time and it's like it's so evil and vindictive but that's the beauty of music is that you can make this song and odds are is that 80 percent of the people are like i was or dylan and i were coming into this pot like before listening to this for this podcast where we didn't know what this song was actually about <laughs> Yeah, and near the end of the song, you're right, it does get darker and it kind of takes you down and down into this this deep, dark place. Uh, and he kind of mentions it on at the end of the song with, with the poem and like that he narrates the whole album with and how he's like lost and he finds himself screaming in a hotel room and he continues this dark theme with probably the darkest song on the album. I mean, just an absolute look into 
the worst parts of Kendrick's mind at, at this point, and that's you. Uh, AB, we'll send it to you. What, what what are your thoughts on this one? And is this is is this the darkest song on the album? Would you say? I actually probably <laughs> it's between this. It's between you and these walls. I would say the two. I'd say the two darkest songs are back to back. You, I think, is honestly a masterclass in talking about, you know, mental health and talking about the negative effects that it has. Because you see, he does such a good job in the song of talking about, you know, how he's feeling, especially in the second half after the beat switch, where he's, you know, talking about like the effects, like of how. Um, you know, people place a burden on him, people. And I, it's OK, the chorus where he's saying loving you is complicated. I don't think he's talking to any you. I think he's talking about himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, this whole song is about himself. He feels a lot of guilt for Dave's death. And that comes through in this song. That's another tie to a good kid, Mad City. I, Dave actually comes up a lot more in this album than I remembered. Um, but yeah. <laughs> That's probably the biggest takeaway for me is just like he must have been in like the throes of depression when he was making this song because and understandably so like he's, you know, one of the biggest rappers in the world, but he probably feels, you know, survivor's remorse Mm -hmm. or something close to that. And he just (laughs) he doesn't really handle he's not really handling it well. And I think that's honestly really cool to see from one of the biggest rappers, like especially in 2015, he was one of the biggest rappers in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, when you put it in that context, it definitely it definitely is kind of eye opening. And if we're not in the moment back then, but I'm sure uh, people were like, man, this especially on this song, it's like, wow, this guy is going through some fucking shit. If you are actually looking into it, like kind of you mentioned earlier. But again, it's so dark. And this is where Kendrick, for me, in this album, uses the, the vocal and the cadence to really help drive the point. Uh, but it, like you mentioned, I feel like this this section of the album is him in the cocoon where he's kind of trapped by his own thoughts and he's and he's growing and trying to be this butterfly. But he's you know surrounded by himself and trying to drive himself out of it. Hughes, what's your take on uh, this song? Yeah, so this is a song. This is the one song in this album that ever since I've had this album on my phone, which I believe was right when it came out or shortly after. This is the one song that I I just deleted because it is so uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's not only uncomfortable in the message, but it is uncomfortable in listening to it. Like he yeah. intentionally makes this song just like a chaotic mess. It's like the way that he's speaking on the mic and the beat is just so haunting. And it's like this, he's like painting a picture of like a depressed man talking to himself, just thinking he's worthless and thinking that everything he's done in life is horrible. And, and, you know, the earth would be better without him. And it's just so damn uncomfortable to listen to. And, you know, from the perspective of, of the album, it's very important because you know, he's, he does a really good job of flickering back between, you know, the government and other people and uh, the devil and himself. And he's kind of attacking all these different angles. And this is the one song where he really focuses completely on himself. And again, it puts you in his shoes where it's like, God, man, like 
because, you know, I'm a very positive person. Like I've never really had struggles dealing with anything like this where I like hate myself or hate my life, but it puts you in that place where it's like, Oh my God, like I can, I can feel why people that have these issues are so struggle so much. Cause he, he puts you in that, in that chair and sits you down. It's just so uncomfortable. And again, I think it's really important for the whole story. And again, it's that, it's that vulnerability that we love where you're really seeing he's like opening a door to it to the inside of his mind uh at, at a certain point and i thought it was interesting in the genius little annotation that uh they get an interview from mixed by ali the producer that he's used for a long time and and he's talking about how uncomfortable this was just to listen to him record it too yeah so this this is a song that is supposed to make you feel very uncomfortable <laughs> and i think it does a very good job of doing that yeah, and, and the, the classic uh, trick of a, a songwriter or a person who makes an album is to follow an absolutely uncomfortable song up with a fucking banger. And I mean, right away, right away at the end of this, this dark song, it, it cuts and you, you hear all of my life I have to fight. And then I, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's just when the head starts subtly like bumping, going back and forth. And here we go. Let's go. He brings us back. He revives us. AB thoughts on this song and the album as uh, in the context of the album. And then just individually, man, this is it banging or what? It is a banger. The irony is not lost on me that after you, one of the most depressing songs on the, not one of the most depressing song on the album, like we just discussed, he comes out with We Gonna Be All Right. Mm-hmm. And like, by the way, Pharrell's like the, by far the biggest name producer on this album. Um, Boy Wanda became a bigger producer, but Boy Wanda was like doing small stuff for Drake and like Travis Scott. He wasn't like Boy Wanda wasn't anyone's idea of a big producer. Now he is. And Thundercat, you know, isn't really a producer. I think he's like kind of a weird mix of producer. Thundercat's all over this album and I'm not exactly sure what, like he's a bass player or he plays a lot of the instruments, but you know, he's not doing a whole lot. This Pharrell beat, Pharrell's very, <laughs> once I figured out it was Pharrell, I was like, oh, of course, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. This, of course, this is a Pharrell beat. Like Pharrell has, you know, like for those that don't know, he's like a vampire. He's been producing, you know, rap songs and pop songs since the mid nineties. Um, Gwen Stefani, you know, like a lot of like, fa- like um, the clips, Pusha T, like Will a lot of those punk? people. Mm-hmm. Punk? Yeah. Like there's just so many people that I can name. It's not worth our time for me to name all of them, but it's fitting that Pharrell did this song. It kind of feels like, you know, not a high point in his career. Cause he did so many great beats, but just like, it feels like kind of like, Kendrick has a beat from like basically almost all of the great producers. Dre, Dre did produce a song on this record, I believe. So I think that he does have Dre on here, but this beat, I'm not saying it's the best, but it's like one of the more traditional hip hop beats. And it just, it rides Kendrick rides it. Um, and there's like, obviously like all the songs in this album are, you know, very <laughs> message heavy, but it doesn't mean they don't have to bang. And I mm-hmm. think that this song, it does both very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's some spots where you've talked about, and I think that's what Kendrick's realized. Like he taught, he, especially with how in depth he kind of talks about things. Sometimes you need to, uh, you need to let it bang a little bit. Hughes, what's, uh, what's your take on this one? 
Yeah, I don't really have too much to add. I mean, it's it's fire. Like it, it's one of those standalone, <laughs> it's one of those standalone songs that we talked about earlier, where you know you throw that on the radio or in the playlist, and it's going to be a good time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like a complete 180 from from you, where he's he's like, you know what? Like I'm good. Like I'm gonna. I've made mistakes, but I'm gonna fix them, and I'm still on this pursuit of of love and and you know, trying to make right with God and all that. So it definitely flips and it kind of, it kind of pushes the story in a little bit of a different direction. I will say before we move on to the next song, this is where Kendrick introduces Lucy. Yeah. So this is an important song. Like in addition to being a great fucking single, (laughs) this is where Lucy gets introduced. Although I know the next song is very, is very Lucy heavy, but it's like, I think that this song for the album itself is like an important bridge song. No, I definitely agree. I think this is where the album starts to take a bit of a turn and maybe this album's not necessarily a two parter. It's more of a three parter because um, I think like you mentioned Lucy in this song and then for sale and then mama, the next one after that really hits it hard. Uh, But for sale was one of the ones that Dylan right away sent to the chat. So I know he's got some takes about, uh, about this one. So we'll let him kick it off here. Yeah. There's just some songs where something clicks and I was, I was driving, listening to this song and I heard the line, you said, Shireen, I ain't got nothing on Lucy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, here we go. Cause you know, <laughs> Shireen was a major character in good kid, mad city. And so there's another throwback to that album, but yeah, he, he's tying, he's tying those two together and he's personifying de- the devil as Lucy, which obviously is Lucifer. But this is kind of what I was talking about with Wesley's theory, where he, he basically makes the devil and America kind of the same thing where in Wesley's theory, he's talking about the American dream and all the promises made and, you know, but if you don't fall, if you don't fall in line, you're not going to get it. And it's kind of the same thing from Lucy, but it's different where unlike America there, you know, Lucy's not going to throw you to the side. Lucy is going to follow you no matter what, you know, I know you love your father, but I'm still going to be there. Like that's, that's kind of what this is about. And obviously for sale is like, is like your soul. And I think that's, that's an important, um, kind of, I don't know a story, but it's just an important thing to talk about in Hollywood because there's a lot of cases that a lot of people talk about this with Hollywood where a lot of these celebrities kind of sell their soul and like, whatever that means. I mean, if, if you're not a religious person, like there's, it's basically like, you'll do whatever you want for that buck, you know? And it's, it's, I think it's a really important and kind of truthful storyline that comes out of fame is that a lot of people will do everything they can to get it. And this is kind of Kendrick's way of saying like, you know what? I'm good. Like I I've got what I've got and I'm happy with that. Hey B. So actually I think I'll bring it back to Wesley's theory here, but I'll kind of do it in a different way than Dylan just did. So like in Wesley's theory, there's that little, um, there's that little Dr. Dre like interlude. I don't know what you'd call that. Like a refrain, I guess you'd call it technically where he's like, you know, you can, it's easy to get it, but what's harder is keeping it. Like that's the essence of what he's saying. 
And in a sense, you can kind of apply that to fame. But I think what Kendrick is trying to say, too, in this a lot in this album is that trying to keep that fame is one of the worst things you can do. Trying to like to sell out and keep the fame. Kendrick views that as like something that's one of the worst things that you can do. So I think that, you know, Kendrick on this album he's like lucy is very clearly like you said lucifer is very clearly the one-to-one analogy here but i think lucy is also just like you know what happens if you chase fame and money and not like kendrick's a very big artistic integrity guy (laughs) like he's very much about his you know you're gonna do this the right way and god damn it you're gonna do it the right way (laughs) or or else like you know or i don't respect you basically is what he's saying i mean Go back to King Kunta. Rappers with a ghostwriter. What the fuck happened? Like, you know, that's like he very clearly thinks that there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And he thinks that if you go with Lucy, you're going down the wrong path. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, like going away from himself a little bit. And the next song, Mama, is him returning home whether it be literally returning back to Compton in the context of like the main idea of the album, or uh, if you want to dive a little bit deeper, kind of returning to himself, maybe in that cocoon about to break out. Hughes, what was your take on mama? Yeah. I mean, another really good part of the story where he's kind of got to connect with his roots and one of the genius conspiracy theories, if you will, is that is that mama is a reference to Africa actually, because he talks a lot about how his trip to South Africa kind of inspired this album. Uh, not the whole album, but parts of it. And I thought that was interesting because this is something we've seen with other musicians too, where they, they need to go home to remember where they came from. Cause again, building off the whole selling out thing, it's easy when you leave wherever you're from and you go to LA or New York city, like J Cole did, and you get wrapped up in the fame and you, you forget where you came from and you start looking at people differently that you grew up with or whatever. And so this is kind of his way of saying, you know, that he needed to go and reconnect with who he used to be and whether that means physically going to a new place or just kind of changing his mindset. And there's a line in this where he says, I, I know the universe works mentally, which obviously you know, with my spiritual side was like, Oh, there we go. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, there really is so much of this world you can just create in your mind and your attitude and everything is is really created from your thoughts. And that's something that Kendra talks a lot about too. And it connects with that whole, you know, caterpillar versus the butterfly that he gets onto later where he's kind of saying it's almost like a mindset and you can be a caterpillar, but if you look at the butterfly, as something you know so much greater than you then you're never going to be the butterfly yeah that's something i've taken from kendrick the last two albums he's the the fact that he think he genuinely believes that you know everything in this world is kind of driven on um your mindset and obviously a theme of this album is the mindset that kind of society forces you to think 
But at the end of the day, I think one thing that's true to Kendrick is the fact that he believes your mindset kind of controls your life. Now, you don't control what mindset you get tossed into, but if you have the power and the strength, you know, if you have the support of God, right, and don't fall into the temptations, another kind of look into what Lucy may be. I think, again, like I mentioned earlier, Lucy's more of an all-encompassing thing for, you know, maybe negative temptations or negative negative side effects. But uh, at the end of the day, I feel like Kendrick obviously himself has had the willpower to overcome that overcome his challenges and i think he i think he like you mentioned he believes that the mindset his mindset is probably like the most important part of that uh ab you gotta take on on mama i do so dylan brought up there's another aspect to you know the coming home part of this song where it's him going back to africa there's another another theory on genius that this is him returning to his pre-fame roots mm-hmm. and i that's kind of the theory that i subscribe to with this song because he does i don't think kendrick wants to be a guy just listening to his music he doesn't want to be that guy he basically wants to appear as a normal person which is impossible if you're kendrick lamar yeah <laughs> because you're kendrick fucking lamar Literally. but <laughs> like he is you know he doesn't want to be that guy that you know and I think that's another prevalent theme throughout his music and not just on this album is like, he doesn't want to be that guy that people come up to and, you know, they say bad things like you should have done better to his face. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to be, you know, the guy that he feels is helpful to others. He wants to be the guy that he feels is, you know, a good influence on others. And I think that, you know, he, the way we do fame now <laughs> with the advent of reality TV just is like, it's not doing you know, being a good person and being a reality TV star aren't really compatible anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. So Hendrick kind of wants to reject that lifestyle. Again, I keep saying this, but it's kind of a theme through all his music. He doesn't want to be that kind of fame. He wants like real shit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's something he strives for. And it's not something a whole, like even in, you know, the real parts of the world, that's not something you're going to get from a whole lot of people. <laughs> No, I agree. And uh, again, with the theme of coming home, I think they all kind of fit either way, whether it's, you know, him returning to Africa or him, you know, returning back to Compton or him returning to his roots. I think they all kind of fit the theme of coming back to like, I don't know, a simpler time or whenever a happier time, maybe, you know, even though that shit wasn't, you know, the best around him, it's still like his roots and it's still what he knows. And I think that's another important theme uh, that he mentions. But after that, we're going to go to hood politics and another song that I think is, you know, a bit of a banger. It's one of those songs, uh, Hughes that you could pick up and listen to individually and be like, okay, this song slaps. Uh, but also I think it's got a good message. Hughes. Yeah. So this is probably, I don't know if it, I can't, I guess it can't be a hot take because it's subjective, but this is my favorite Kendrick song. Okay. It, it, there's just something about it that has always clicked with me. I don't know what it is, but it's it's a song I could throw on anytime I want, and it's going to be a great time because, I mean, you know, I'm a fan of beat switches, and you get a – Right like, off the bat. Yeah, you get that little intro where it's kind of like a, a smooth little intro where, you know, some guys R&B? call on. Yeah. Yeah, 
And then all of a sudden it, it switches. It's like, oh man, here we go. You know, Kendrick, Kendrick's back on it. And of course, again, it's another very unique beat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the title says it all hood politics, you know, it's, he's talking about all the political problems with, with the hood and with America in general um, with, you know, as we talked about earlier with basically the, you know, the CIA or whatever circulating a lot of these, you know, paraphernalia in the hood and the LAPD, you know, killing people and having to cover it up and just, just throwing it all out the window. Like just, just putting it all out there, all the problems that are there um, and then taking it up top, you know, president Obama, a little name drop in there. I thought it was interesting that president Obama or former, I should say, he loves this album. Like he, this is, uh, there's a song and maybe the next song, uh, yeah, I think it is the next song. It's like his favorite song of the year whenever it came out. Or, and like he's talked to Kendrick a lot. And that to me is a fascinating re- relationship. And I would love I'm going to have to look up some interviews and see if Obama really goes deep on this album at all, because Kendrick and this is not the first time Kendrick has discussed politics and basically said, like, I don't care what color you are like you, we need to see what you, who you are as a person. And that's why I think Kendrick has kind of uh, gotten some Martin Luther King comparisons in the past with some of his message. Um, and he's also gotten Malcolm X. So there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot going on there, but yeah, I thought that that's an interesting, you know, kind of relationship where, you know, Obama, obviously the first black president in us history and everyone was so excited because all the change he could do. And yeah, he made some changes, but ultimately he didn't change enough. Right. And that's not necessarily his fault. And that's not to take, you know, the blame off of him. It's just that politics in America is so big. The president really doesn't mean as much as people think. And that's, that's what's kind of interesting when you, when you view political discussion, it's like, I can't watch people talk about politics because they clearly don't understand how little the president has of an impact. I mean, it's not like they're powerless, but you've got to convince so many other politicians to vote on these things. And and this song is kind of pointing that out where like they, the overarching narrative in America and the issues come down to the fact that our government doesn't change anything. And it, it doesn't matter who you are the government doesn't change anything. And if you're president, you don't have enough power to change that. Hey, B. So I'm not going to go in the direction Dylan just went in, although I agree with just about everything he said. Um, Cause yeah, that is the first takeaway I had from this song was just, you know, the way that the politics again, affects a place like Compton where, you know, he, and it's just basically everything what Dylan said. I'm not going to parrot that. But I did think it was funny in the third verse after, you know, the beat switch. <laughs> and I, I just like this little dig. These two lines. Critics want to mention they miss when hip hop was racket rapping. Motherfucker, if you did, Killer Mike would be platinum. <laughs> and he's just like, it's so right. You know, people only care about like they always say that. It is, this is just like a small, silly observation and nothing compared to what Dylan just said, but 
Um, like people are always like, oh, you know, I miss when hip hop was just all, you know, rapidy rap or, oh, I miss when, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't like times evolve, times change. You're old maybe, but you are not like the young demographic. You're not what sells hip hop records. So maybe you should just shut the hell up. I, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, but it takes us on to the next song, How Much a Dollar Costs, which Hughes also already mentioned was President Obama's favorite song in 2015. I mean, the relationship has to be decent because he let him take an album cover on uh, the lawn of the of the White House. And so that's that in itself is pretty intense. I don't know how many people could just jump in front of the White House and take a picture. So I'm sure there's a little air working there, but this one, uh, a really important song in the album. Hughes, take her away. Yeah, I mean, this is from us. I mean, I've already said that a lot of these beats are, are unique on their own, but this one is really different. I think more different than most of them, aside from you, I guess where it's just like a, a much slower song and the storytelling is so good. It's, you know, he's, he's in his car and he's got this homeless guy coming up to him. Like I just need what $1 bill, man, that's all I need. And, and this, this song I think made me think more than any other on this album because gosh, like from a place of privilege, it's just such a tough thing when you're dealing with homeless people because it's like, okay, I don't know anything about this person. So do they want my money for a good reason or for a bad reason? If I don't give them money, are they going to harm me? You know? And like, the sad thing is like, I mean, I don't know what the numbers would be, but a a lot of homeless people are not, they don't like, they legitimately want your help. They're not going to hurt you if you don't give them what you want. But from a standpoint of, someone that has something to lose you just think of it so differently and you kind of go into this state of protection with yourself and this song made me think about like how i am with homeless people i'm never really exposed to homeless people too much but it's like you never know what you're passing up on when you aren't giving someone help they need you know and i think this song was really important because it made me think a lot i'm sure it made a lot of other people think too where it's like, you know, am I fulfilling my role in society? Where I'm, am I helping people I should be helping? And I mean, this is kind of an extreme scenario for Kendrick, but obviously it's, um, you know, not a true story. I'm not imagining, <laughs> but yeah. you know, the homeless man that wants one, $1 from him uh, turns out to be God. And cause Kendrick is refusing to give him money. And it, it kind of just shows the, the relationship we have with other people where it's like, you know, we're supposed to be good people on earth. We're supposed to help each other. Cause we're, you know, we're all a part of the same humanity. Like we're all the same. We've just had different backgrounds that have led us to where we are. And to turn your back on those people is basically like turning your back on God. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you really closed that one up really well there. It's, it's a nice way to kind of put a bow tie on it. <laughs> AV, what's your take on this one? Listen, you know, I'm not going to parrot everything Dylan said again because he hit the nail on the head. I mean, the beat for this song is exquisite. Like this is this is probably my favorite song from this album. Going back and listening to it again, you know, this last couple of days and just the lyricism, the storytelling like this is top notch. Like I'm going to make the I'm going to be the one that makes the J. Cole comparison like 
but it's such a it's a com- weird comparison to make because these two songs are completely and totally different like this gave me the same feeling like in terms of story, like just sheer storytelling not the motion of the song not that you know the tone of the song or tenor this kind of gave me the same feeling that wet dreams did where like such ex- like explicit storytelling and yeah. like really really good like storytelling and like just these this second verse like he's staring at me in disbelief my temper is building he's staring at me i grab my key he's staring at me i started the car then i tried to leave and something told me to keep it keep it in park until i could see the reason why he was mad at a stranger like i was supposed to save him like i'm the reason he's homeless and asking me for a favor he's staring at me his eyes followed me with no laser he's staring at me i noticed that his stare is contagious now i'm staring back at him feeling some type of disrespect if i could throw a bat at him i'd be aiming at his neck i never understood Mm -hmm. someone begging for goods asking for handouts taking it if they could and this particular person just had it down pat staring at me at the longest until he finally asked you ever opened up exodus 14 a humble man is all that we ever need tell me how much a dollar cost mm-hmm. like that whole second verse <laughs> is just like exquisite storytelling like most of the best like you know fiction writers nonfiction, tv movie they would kill to write something that like descriptive and good and it, it just it puts you where he is you know and then you know the twist and the way it all kind of crescendos at the end of the song right mm-hmm. when like the music like i talked about it building up in king kunja this is a different kind of build up like where the music it gets like stronger like the the horns kind of get stronger the strings get stronger as the um the third verse progresses and then he finally says I am God. And then mm. it just like kind of, you know, kind of stalls, but it's just like such a good musical buildup. I, I love this song. It's such a great song. <laughs> yeah. The production in it definitely uh key in helping drive the point. Uh, but the YouTube watchers are going to have a little, a little uh, surprise because man, did I have an excited reaction when you said I'm going to compare to J Cole? Cause normally that's my job. And so uh, I'm big with uh, J Cole comparisons, but I thought you brought up a good point, uh, especially with that. I think it's a second verse when he's talking to, um, when he's talking to the homeless guy and he's like, have you ever read Exodus 14? And it's like Kendrick having this realization. And obviously that the point of the song is like a dollar to the homeless man is everything. And a dollar to him is, is nothing. But I think, uh, and to add on to what Hughes said, when you come from a, a, a place of I could lose something that obviously changes your perspective to want to keep and hold on. And I think that's one of the most freeing things, a maybe how the butterfly kind of opens its wings and escapes from the, um, from the cocoon. It's like this realization that it's in something similar to what we kind of talked about with Mac. It's like, there is nothing to lose. Like you don't have death. You don't have to fear death. Death is something that's going to happen, you know? So there's no reason, there's no reason to make decisions based on it. You just gotta, you know, kind of look in its face and be like, you know, whatever. So there's nothing to lose. And I think that was a good point by Dylan, because I think that's one of the biggest driving factors as we head into what I'd say, uh, maybe the, another, another branch of this album, uh, another kind of different section of this album, uh, which is started by complexion, which this one, I mean, we, we talked about production. This was probably my favorite produced song on this on this album and i don't know maybe it's just like the slow jazzy kind of little bounce 
You know what I'm saying? Like this is this song. It doesn't have like the Jamaican kind of Drake in my feelings bounce, but it's got like a complexion, you know, a little slow groove bounce. What uh, what what's your take on this one, Hughes? Yeah, this this is a really good one, and this is another one where it puts you in the shoes of someone else. And again, I think this album has done that for me more than any any other album. Uh, where, again, as a as a white man in America that came from a not impoverished background, you know, it's like we really take advantage of just normal life and how the world sees us. And it's something you don't ever think about because you don't know any different. Right. But, you know, this, this, this song is kind of talking about what the, how the beauty standard kind of affects black women and especially darker black women. And he kind of tells the story about, um, slavery and how the light skinned slaves would often become house slaves where they're, you know, hanging out in the house where it's warm and all that and they're cleaning or whatever. And basically the darker you get, the further you are away from the house. And it kind of signifies like what, how you're seen based on your skin color and like the lighter you are, the closer to the house you're going to be, you know, I thought that was an, a really interesting way to say it. And again, it, it makes you think like other people's experiences because it's so easy to hear people complain about stuff and just kind of dismiss it because you just don't, you don't get it. And it's like, Oh, you're probably just overreacting or whatever. But Kendrick does such a good job of putting you in that place. And he makes you imagine, you know, if you're in that situation, how would you feel? Because this is, this is how it is. This is not just people complaining about something. This is literally the experience. And it's just, again, one of those songs where you have to sit back and really think, and it takes you out of your comfort zone, which a lot of people don't want to leave that comfort zone because it's comfortable. But I think to grow, we need to be out of that comfort zone. And this is one of the best songs in the album, I think of really taking you to that comfort zone and putting you into someone else's shoes. AB. So I don't have much to add about the content of the song that Dylan didn't already say. I will say, um, in terms of the beat, the little turntable scratches through the beat are, you know, they're just great. Like they're nice little touches. And then Rhapsody has the only rap feature, like rap verse on this whole, you know, project. Like Snoop does a little bit of rapping, but it's not a verse. Yeah. It's yeah, it's eight bars. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's hardly anything. She killed it. Like she did such a great job on this song. Um, <laughs> you know, talking about enforcing my dark side like a young george lucas i thought that was hilarious um you know i'm a i'm a you guys know you guys know more like our group chat knows probably more than anybody i'm a sucker for wordplay <laughs> so i love a good wordplay i mean she killed it you know this song it's just great like i don't really have anything else to say that dylan didn't already say but yeah i wanted to shout out rhapsody because she did a really good job on this song all right, and the next one, Hughes, the Black or the Berry, kind of uh, owed to some of the hip hop uh, that Kendrick was growing up to that we see a lot in the later half of this album. Hughes, what was your take on this one? So I'm trying to remember. I guess I was a sophomore in high school when this album came out. And I, I think this may have been the one of the lead singles. I'm not going to say it was the, the lead single, 
but I do remember this song being pretty big and I mean, it's, it's kind of like you where it's just really dark and grimy, but it's much more put together. So it's not as uncomfortable, but it's, I mean, it's a really unique, unique song and, and sound. And, you know, that's something we haven't talked about is not only the beats are very different, but Kendrick's tone changes a lot. He can change his voice to the beat so well. Like there's some, some songs where he's really upbeat and you can hear it in his voice. And then there's other songs like this where he sounds just angry and really coming at you. And it's a really interesting listen. And of course the content matches that too, where it, again, it puts you in the, the mind of, you know, a black person in America that's just mad because of all the, of all the wrongs. And it just puts you in that mind state where, you know, it's like, fuck them, you know, we're burning the shit to the ground kind of. And it's, it's really interesting. And it's, it's almost kind of surprising. It took this long in the album for it, for him to make a song like this, because he spends a lot of this song, you know, talking about the black experience in America and how bad it can be at times, but he's never really been super angry about it. He's kind of just saying it. And this one, this is the one song where he's like, all right, this is dedicated to just saying, fuck them. Like I'm not standing up for this shit anymore. Yeah. And that's, that's what I mean when I think the, the theme kind of switches at the end of this album to kind of a more direct look at, uh, what Kendrick's talking about. AB, what's your take on uh, the Black of the Bay? So, doing, you know, my little research for this, uh, for this pod, I, you know, I was reading the Genius Notes, and apparently Kendrick started writing this song in 2012, and it, if you remember, in 2012, Trayvon Martin was murdered. So he's been bu- bubbling up this anger for three years writing this song. And... I think what really got to me was the end of the song, like the last three lines. So why did I weep when Trayvon Martin was in the street, when gangbanging made me kill a dude blacker than me hypocrite. And like, he clearly, he felt some kind of guilt about what I think this is, this is the last reference to Dave we get on this album. And I think he feels like it's his fault that Dave died. I think that this song it kind of is a reflection of his anger because he's not a hypocrite. He's not, there's no way you could like objectively look at how he's feeling on this, in this song. He said, he starts off every verse on the biggest hypocrite of 2015. And I mean, first of all, there's just no way, right? I mean, <laughs> it's not possible. There's someone will always be a bigger hypocrite than you always. I mean, you know, you're talking to one of them right now, but <laughs> Like in all seriousness, like he's not a hypocrite because everything he's feeling is valid. Right. And I think that that's something, you know, maybe he didn't allow himself to allow himself to feel in 2015. Like, you know, maybe he felt just that level of guilt for Dave's death, but it like, it's probably not his fault. Like he was in the system. And I think that, you know, Dylan's right. This is a really angry song, but you under like, empathizing with him you understand where the anger is coming from and it makes it i think it makes the song that much better yeah i think the last three lines that you uh mentioned kind of just speak to that institutionalized mindset that i think kendrick was talking about and in the earlier song how you know he's he's weeping about trayvon 
Trayvon being killed, but in reality and in, in his reality in, in Compton that, that people die all the time, you know? And so that takes us into uh, another look at kind of like, I don't know, main themes in the album, main themes that Kendrick's trying to convey. Uh, you ain't got to lie. Uh, AB, we'll, we'll, we'll let you take off with this one first. This is just going back to the re- being real thing. And shout out our friend, uh, J.D. Hall. <laughs> I'd say his overarching life philosophy. I think, I don't know how big of a Kendrick Lamar fan he is. I think he likes him. I don't think he's as big of a fan as we are. But this would be his, like, you know, like if I was going to assign an anthem to J.D., this would be J.D.'s anthem because his overarching life philosophy is... <laughs> You know, you ain't got to lie to kick it. Just be yourself. And I think that's what Kendrick is trying to say on this song, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to the going to the going home on uh, Mama, you know, I think that, like, <laughs> he's just as, like, basically, like, I'm still myself. After all the fame, after all the stuff, they tried to change me. I didn't. I'm still Kendrick Lamar from Compton. I'm still... I'm still K-Dot. So I think that that's kind of in these two Mama Said songs, like, I think that that's kind of the overarching theme is just you got to be yourself. And I think that that's something that he really appreciates in people. And that's something that he really, you know, he tries to be about. Hughes, you got anything to add? Yeah, I think this is, you know, this, this kind of, this album reminds me of Oxymoron from Schoolboy a little bit where, you're listening to it and you love the storytelling. You love everything about it, but it's like, I can't relate to any of this shit at all. Mm. And this is, this is the one song in this album where it's kind of like, okay, I can relate to this. Right. Because it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you know, people that lie to fit in. It's very common. I mean, we probably all have friends that are like this to some degree where People, <laughs> people will tell a white, uh, it could be a white lie or bigger than a white lie to make themselves something that they're not because it really what it stems from is that they don't think they're good enough. Like it comes from that. Um, but it's it, people, you know, there's, there's these things in life that people think are cool. And it, it reminds me of uh, swimming pools too where Kendrick's like rejecting, you know, drinking over drinking too much. And that's what everyone does. And a lot of people become drinkers or smokers because they want to fit in. It may not be who they are, but they'll do it because they want to fit in. And this is Kendrick's anthem for basically that, where it's like, like, you don't gotta, you don't gotta yell where the hose at. Like we're, you know, we're, we're cool. We're cool without that shit. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a, it's kind of a different like theme from a lot of the other songs, but it kind of mixes in everything too, where it's just another lesson from Kendrick where it's like, you know, just be true to yourself. You don't gotta, you don't gotta be what you think we want you to be because we just want you to be who you are. Yeah. Being who you are definitely uh, kind of the theme as we close up this album, especially heading into the next song, which I just need to put into context for you guys. I had heard this song I had heard this song before, obviously. I think it was the lead single off this album. And um, 
I was not ready for it. I was not ready for it whenever it hit, whenever it hit in the context of the whole album. Like literally once I, once I hear it start playing, it's like, oh, okay, so this is what this whole fucking thing has been building up to, you know? And again, when that really helped me put into perspective, like the, the butterfly breaking out of the cocoon, like, oh my God, I love myself. I, you know, it's, it's such, I think it's such a fitting kind of peak to this album. Hughes, I'll, I'll let you start off with this one. Yeah. I mean, I don't, there's not a ton to say for me. It's kind of like the, it's just, it's the opposite of you. Obviously yeah. it's the love yourself anthem, um, which is important. And it, again, it's got a different sound to it. Obviously it's a lot more upbeat, um, but you know, it, it feels like you're in a concert listening to it. And then of course, at the end, he has the whole little monologue thing where he's like actually at a concert and, you know, a fight breaks out and he's got to go on this big rant about, uh, how we can't fight each other. Like we've got to fight our real enemies and all that. So it, it really ties everything together, as you said, where, it's it's love yourself and also you know don't turn on the people that are are like you ab i think as a parallel to you this is a like first of all the fact that this was the first song anybody heard off this album yeah (laughs) you like it's pretty funny listening to like if you go and listen to the album this is the second to last song you know most of the times an artist buries a like single at the back of an album that's because they don't think it fits the theme of their album like i'll give an example of that um i'm pretty sure trav or um pick up the phone by travis scott was on birds and the traps sting mcknight and that song i'm pretty sure is the last song on birds because that does not fit with what travis was kind trying to go for he was just trying to get those sales from the song being associated with with the album i'm not even sure travis knew what he was going for in that whole album other than just make a banger but you know (laughs) dylan and i already talked about it but i can't wait to hear you two talk about it so that'll be fun um but this song though this is not like you know i'm not gonna say that he put i at the back of the album to bury it rather i think it's a good way it's a good penultimate song especially because he obviously didn't release the acapella rap part as a single that would be i mean that would be kind of funny if he did but he did not do that and i think you know the contents of this song again to go back to the to the beat not always matching what he's saying like the chorus is pretty aggressive like <laughs> i love myself uh and when you're looking at me tell me what you see i love myself uh, i put a bullet in the back of the back of the head of the police i love myself huh illuminated by god boy don't seem shy i love myself like it's very <laughs> it's very like the content is stronger than the lyrics are or than the beat is which is saying something because the beat is fucking right in your face and then yeah the last part of the song is really you know it's a good way to lead into mortal man and i think you know another i wonder how oprah feels about this album yeah (laughs) because he clear kendrick doesn't like i mean i think he probably respects obama in a sense but i don't think he likes oprah much at all so I'd be curious to see how she feels about it. But that's basically my takeaways from I is just like, it's a really well done song. And I think that, you know, it's like one of the masteries of this album is just that the, 
the lyrics and the beats don't always mesh as well as you think they would, but I think that's kind of what makes it so great. Yeah, and I like the I like the fact that this album is kind of like performed within the context of the album within or this song is performed within the context of the album. And I think it makes even more sense when you view it from the perspective that Kendrick released the song as a single as well. And so this is like, okay, this is what everyone heard. And then the album is kind of like the build up to that, that the song to, to the realization. And then obviously we have mortal man next to kind of wrap it all together. And so I'm gonna let you, uh, AB kind of take off with your thoughts on the last song. So I try my best to always remember, you know, what the rap part of this song is about. I, I never can. I mean, no. when shit hits the fan, is you still a fan? I mean, let's be real here. What's the beauty of this song is that he wraps up the poem. The production on this is like the production on this whole album. Obviously, we talk about the beats, but like the sound mixing, you know, all that stuff is great. What really stands out to me is like how they edited the Tupac thing, because this album is kind of like. I think that's probably something we should have said up top, but this album is kind of a tribute to Tupac. Like Kendrick grew up idolizing Tupac, you know, Tupac died when just doing some quick math here. Kendrick was like probably in elementary school. You know, that's probably around when Tupac would have been killed in Las Vegas. So the way that they kind of wrap up and like the way, because we haven't really been talking about the poetry either. Like it first shows up in King Kunta. I think the last song it's in is if I'm not, let's see, what song is the last? I think the last song it shows up in is Hood Politics. So we kind of abandoned the poet poetry for a few songs. And then it kind of all, you know, coalesces in this song where at the end of the song where he's like, all right, man, you know, that's, that's the poem I wanted to read to you. And then he starts like interviewing Tupac mm-hmm. <laughs> and they are using Tupac quotes from his real life. And I just think that, you know, like, when I first listened to this album, this is what really stood out. It's just like the way they really tied it up with a bow. I mean, we know this, right? We've written stuff. We podcast a lot. Wrapping things up is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ending things is just hard. You know, a lot of times your natural instinct is to just end it and just be like, fuck it. I, I don't want to have ending to this. But the way they wrapped it up put such a perfect bow on it. I think that this, you know, song slash outro it's just like the i couldn't think of a better way to wrap up this album and it it gave it the punch that it needed Mm -hmm. no definitely it definitely kind of brings everything together and if anything helps you put some of the previous like themes into newer light and new ideas and bring new context to them hughes what was your take on uh what was your take on this one yeah so i mean what, going off what Alex said, I mean, it's it, the poem is more like we didn't discuss the poem too much, but the, this poem, you know, gets more completed as time goes on. And once you look at the poem after it's finished, it's like the album, you know, yeah. like the it basically breaks down into the different parts of the album. And, you know, Mortal Man kind of gives a nod to the past. And this is something that we've talked about with J. Cole and Kendrick already, where they're they're living to tell other people's stories. And that's kind of what Good Kid Mad City was, um, especially about, you know, Sing About Me, I'm Dying of Thirst, which was the obviously the most important song on that album. And that whole song is about telling 
the story of his dead friend. And this song kind of, I mean, mortal man, you know, is like, none of us are mortal. Like we we're all going to die. And every, every, everyone that's important is going to die. So we have to keep, to keep these important messages alive. We have to keep talking about, we have to keep talking about the people that have gone and obviously Tupac being one of those people. And I agree with Alex. I thought the way that they edited that was so well. And, you know, the first time you listen to it, it's like confusing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think Kendrick ever talked to Tupac. Like that doesn't seem right. Um, but, you know, it, it was just so well done. And it really is, is just interesting. Cause you know, the stuff that Kendrick is talking about in this album, Tupac talked a lot about too, um, which is shown in that interview. And it, again, it puts you in the place of, of a, you know, a black person that grew up in, in a terrible environment, an environment that was constructed by the institutions, you know, like that, that's where all this comes back together, that they were forced into these places and forced to rely on a government that put them there. And it's like, and that's really what it's all about. And that's what Tupac was talking about, Kendrick. And it's just, as Alex said, it's just a great way to wrap it up and to put all those themes into one song. Yeah, I, f- I feel like an idea that was brought to me after hearing it was like it's Kendrick's become like a continuation of not necessarily Tupac's own legacy, but just the the legacy and the ideas that Tupac, Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King, all these guys kind of believed in. Kendrick's just like the voice for our age for, for those ideas and those topics. And that's what this kind of, that ending kind of locked into my mind. I'm like, okay, this, that's pretty cool. And like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, kind of metaphorical stuff to, uh, to Tupac in this, where like the original title of the album was to, supposed to be to pimp a caterpillar uh, to kind of have a word to play on words with Tupac instead of to pimp a butterfly. And I think butterfly fits the theme of the album as a whole a little bit better. But like you mentioned, uh, both of you, it's just a really good way to wrap up the themes and kind of put a bow on on the fucking album because that's exactly what it does. And so uh, we've been we've been running pretty long here, guys. An absolute marathon of an album uh, of a of a podcast. But I mean, I that's just that's just natural with when it, with with an album like this that is absolutely packed to the fucking brim, overflow, overflowing with just content and stuff that you could take out of it. And I mean, we're going to probably finish up this Kendrick section uh, in two months time, run back this and run, run it back and be like, man, we could, we could pull so much stuff. And so that's, that's the beauty of Kendrick though. And that's the beauty of music just in general. And so we might have to, we might have to run it back uh, whenever Kendrick drops his new album. But AB, thanks for joining us. Final thoughts on uh, final thoughts on, on the album. So I knew I wanted to do this album. Like I said, like I told you, I want to use my executive privilege here and I want to talk about Spimple Butterfly because talking about a good piece of art is so fulfilling. Like right now I'm feeling great because it's like when you talk about such an important piece of work, you know, you just feel like the power of it when you're listening to it, when you're studying up on it and then to be able to like, you know, you hope you give lucid opinions on it. You know, you, you yeah. hope so, yeah. but it's not always perfect. But like 
being able to talk about this album was like honestly such a treat and just because like i learned so much listening back to it like and i never thought i would like i didn't think i had preconceived notions about these walls that are going to be forever changed now i had preconceived notions like i didn't understand the complexity of you and i like i Mm. i under like i appreciated how good king kunta is i appreciated how good how much dollar cost is like that that's always been one of the standout songs to me even before this listen through but you know i think i gained an appreciation for some of the other songs and i that i don't think i would have had before i don't think i would have cared about institutionalized as much mm-hmm. before this listen through i don't think i cared about you know some of the other songs and i just i really appreciate like how like this is a complete body of work start to finish hour yeah. 16 it's pretty tight up for how much stuff it has yeah and like it's really they could have probably had so much more stuff i mean hell i don't know if you guys are going to talk about it but the untitled um mixtapes that he released that or not i don't think it was a mixtape technically i don't know what it, i think it'd be ep mm-hmm. but where he basically released the unfinished songs from this section from this session <laughs> he probably yeah. could have had so much more stuff in here but the vision and the coherence to have such a good condensed album that is shorter than this podcast currently is yeah is just, <laughs> it's a little a little self jab folks but yeah. i think that it's just <laughs> such a good it's for real it's like i think it's probably the best rap album of the 2010s i'm not going to go for all their music genres because frankly I'm not educated enough. And, you know, you guys might not agree that it's the best album overall, but I'm mostly a rap and R&B guy. And I think that in terms of hip hop, it's probably the best album of the 2010s. No, it's definitely up there, B. And I think when you when you said, like, just talking about it and the way the way it makes you feel like the power it kind of gives you, that's absolutely true. And I think that's pretty much spot on the fucking theme. One of the themes that you could take away from this album you know just finding finding stuff like kendrick stuff that you know has purpose and has a deep 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 meaning behind it kind of gives you the the hope or the the drive to kind of do do the same and like you mentioned you hope you could give good takes and you hope you can you know do do the album justice but that that's where that effort i think from kendrick's behalf comes from because it's like I mean, he's a mortal man. He's going to put this shit out there. He's got one life. And obviously, as we mentioned, his his goal in life is to try to, I don't know, bring light to the darkness and kind of bring bring awareness to a bunch of these situations. And whenever you put this much this much effort and this much this much content and such a kind of compact little look into an album it's it's naturally gonna gonna you know get people to talk about it so Hughes what were your final final thoughts on this one yeah I'm glad you mentioned feeling because I this is something I've noticed I've really kind of had a I don't know if epiphany is the right word but I've just noticed like when I get a certain strong feeling and usually it comes when I like write something really that I like a lot or when I discover something new, either about myself or just the world, like learning, learning and learning about myself or other things just gives me a feeling that's like not really replicable by other things. And it makes you appreciate those moments because they, they don't come all the time. And that's why they're so easy for you 
to sit back and be like, wow, like that made me feel some type of way. And those, those moments where it's like, it's almost you subconsciously like appreciating something, which is something that's really unique. And I think that's, um, you know, something like kind of, you think about love, like love of people is kind of the same thing where it's like, it just makes you feel a different way than, than other things do. And it's really, it's why we attach so much to those things. And that's kind of, I mean, that's something that we discover a lot through music. And this album, I think is one of them. I mean, as I said earlier, this is an album that has made me think so much and I'm going to keep thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And just the title alone to pimp a butterfly is something that I'm really going to sit on for a while. Now that I've discovered what it actually means, it's like, man, you know, because when you when you would think about your own life, we pimp ourselves out like we pimp our own beauty out. Like Kendrick kind of paints this album as other people pimping out your beauty, but we do it to ourselves, too. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to think about after listening to this album is like, you know, yes, I see the world in a different way because of what Kendrick said, but how can I look at myself differently too? And how much a dollar costs another example is like, is that is like, am I treating people the right way? So that that's, that's something I've never really thought about with an album where it's like, I have to look inside myself and be like, am I doing what Kendrick is saying? You know, like, am I the person that Kendrick doesn't like? So it's, this is an album where it's like, it has such a great impact on you because it really makes you think about yourself. And that again is very unique for an artist. And I think, you know, I'd have to really sit down and do a ranking to see if it's the best of the 2010s or whatever. Um, but it's, it's definitely up there. Cause there are, there are very few albums that that have this kind of impact on you as a person, I think. AB, you got anything else? No, I mean, I think that tied, I'll just say, I mean, the poem, I, I think we, we didn't, I'm not saying we did a bad job because I think we did a great job talking about stuff on the pod today, but I will say I really loved the poem. That to me is like the standout. Like the, it's the first thing you notice the first time you listen to it. And obviously I'd say this is like my fifth or sixth time listening to it because I get like such an overwhelming feeling of profoundness after I listened to this album. Right. <laughs> Where like this time I tried to temper that down. So, you know, I could listen to it more than once in preparation for this. But I think that like this album is just so profound. And then that poem, you know, the conversation with Tupac, you know, they were saying some like real shit in that interview with Tupac. Like, you know, like he's like, you know, the rich people, they're going to get fat one day. And then, you know, the poor, like he was saying, and that means he was saying this shit. He was saying, eat the rich in the nineties. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, people are like, Oh, people just started saying this. No. Tupac motherfucking Shakur said this in the 19 fucking 90s. And so I think, you know, it's a cool little exhibit into his mindset because Tupac died when he was 25. And so we never got to see like Kendrick when he made this album was already older than Tupac was when he died. So I think that, you know, it's good to see that perspective, right? From Kendrick. I, I just really... I'm really grateful that this album was made. I was really grateful that Kendrick put this into the universe, the poem, you know, I, you know, the conflicted, like all that stuff, like just everything about this album is so perfect. 
Yeah, it's definitely timely too. And uh, last thing I'm going to say, because we do need to wrap it up, is the, the feeling is there. You know, it's 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 something that we could spend probably another hour and a half trying to just describe like what what it is. But I think we all kind of feel it, right? Uh, at least what I've gotten so far. And it's like it, the the moment that stands out to me in this album is is I where that feeling kind of really comes in. Like when I heard it in the first time in, in the context of the album, I got chills like literally. And that's something that is not conscious. Like I didn't consciously decide I want chills. It's, it's subconscious and it's something that I obviously resonate with, but I just, I'm not aware of it in any, I'm not aware of it. Like it's just that simple. And that's a crazy thing that Kendrick, I feel like accomplished in this album is, 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 <laughs> having his message resonate on such a deep fucking level with as many people as possible, because I know it did, uh, with, with us. And I know it definitely did based on the claim that it got after the release, because I mean, everyone's saying it's, it's a, it's a classic. And, and now I think we all kind of understand why, uh, because man, it, this album is only going to age better and better and better and better and better. And like in, in that aspect, it reminds me of 2014 forest Hills drive. Uh, also the like kind of long, clip at the end that gave me 2014 Forest Hills Drive, although J. Coles was a little bit different and didn't have as much content, but man, is this a, is this album going to just continue to get better? Like, I, it's just going to continue to make more and more and more sense, and that's something that I'm not sure we've had too much of on, on the Divine Rhyme so far. So, but long episode if you're still tuning in really thank you so much i mean you're the people you're the people we need more of no golf talk cues we don't have any time also not much golf going on but i would like to extend the biggest shout out to the pod father the og alex burr thank you for joining us today uh alex and dylan and basketball power hour what can we expect i'll let dylan handle this one because i'll be curious to see how he feels about this upcoming week <laughs> Yeah, we've got Warriors, Bulls, Kings this week. Um, I mean, it's it's a pretty good week. Like it's, you know, there's I think the beautiful thing about the NBA nowadays is that there's something interesting about every team. And, and then there's the magic. And then there's the magic. But, you know, that's something that uh, me and Alex have discovered the past year, really diving into the worst of the worst and still finding gems. So that's why you got to keep coming back, man, because we'll we'll find – We'll find something beautiful in every bad situation. We talked for like 20 minutes about the Spurs last week. And if you would have asked me before we did the week, I would have said we'd spent like 15 max. So we we do a good job, I'd say. Um, let me go ahead and talk about the other stuff on the network real quick. Caleb had car troubles last week, so he he didn't have a insanity last week, but there will be a all insanity this week. Will, I have to give you credit because I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, the Caleb Lynn Memorial Collapse of the Week is by far the best segment anyone's ever created on this network. And I just I want to give you props for that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I It saddens me to report if you didn't catch the beginning of the last power hour, Triple Ocean passes on permanent hiatus. They will be back as soon as they can, but life, you know, happens. Um, Circle City Cinema will be back next week. And I think that's everything we got. Um, yeah, I can't wait to listen to Damn. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I'm definitely looking forward to that one. I think we're going to have Ali B on. Um, my friend, I think I mentioned that on the last pod. She's, uh, she's, she's energetic. I'm going to leave it there. So we're definitely in for right a fun on. one. You want to, you know what, Alex, why don't you just, why don't you take us home? All right. Well, um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Um, for, for Will Hogsett and Dylan Hughes, I'm Alex Burr signing off for the evening. <laughs> yes, sir.